Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory, Episode 40. A new precedent happened today, <laughs> and that is at the Indy 500. Pretty much, uh, again, unprecedented ending, but... Very good ending, though. But a great I have ending. to say, I'm, yes. a, I'm an Indy 500 uh, fan now. Yeah, I think it was, a, it was a good choice by the sanctioning body, in my opinion, uh, but not something that has happened before in the sport, but... You know, this was an exciting race from start to finish, I thought. I, I really always enjoy the Indy 500. And, you know, for the mo- majority of my life in racing, I've always watched it from the racetrack because we've always been running the Coca-Cola 600, which is supposedly tonight, obviously, um, some weather. Weather permitting. I'm sorry, yeah, some weather. But, um, you know, it, we always would watch it, you know, in the morning at the racetrack or midday, you know, at noon, and then we'd go to a driver's meeting and, so you would always, you know, try to keep tabs on the race. You had a keen interest in it and you're watching it from either inside the um, transporter or from the bus. And, you know, you got to, you know, as we alluded to in last, last week's episode about the double, we, you know, experienced that on, on numerous occasions. So there was a lot of things going on around it, but it was a great race. I think it had all the things uh, that you would expect. You know, the weather was good. It was conducive for great racing. You weren't going to have a weather issue. A lot of pageantry, 350,000 people, a uh, packed house. And I think, you know, a lot of different scenarios and different things, storylines that, you know, I think we're making up this year's 107th Indy 500. And it was, you know, a number of things. One, I think, focal point was the fact that it was Tony Kanaan's uh, final race in Indy. And, you know, just a... A true, you know, gentleman of the sport, so well loved by all of the fans of IndyCar racing. Just a, you know, an outstanding race car driver. Won the Indy, you know, obviously one time. His story about telling his father before he died that he was going to win the day you know, or win the um the Indy 500 for him, and which he did. Uh, and you know, he's living on his own terms, and really, you know, just uh, a great ambassador of IndyCar racing, and continue to be at the races. I think to showcase that and carry on that. Uh, that torch. But, you know, he had a good run today, finished 16th, didn't really have the car that was capable of winning the race. But I think, you know, made a nice, made, made a daring, bold move on the back straightaway through the grass, a pass in the grass like Earnhardt's, <laughs> you know. So, you know, he made that, pulled that off. So I guess that was his, his final, uh, you That's know, his claim to fame. Yeah. yeah. That was the, you know, the pass in the grass, right? So, uh, you know, something spectacular. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a great, a great day. And for what him. about those wrecks? Yeah. I mean, there were some hellacious wrecks today. Uh, I, I think a lot of, if you watch the race from the start, uh, they were very aggressive. There was a lot of movement, uh, excessive movement in the cars on the restarts. And I think, but they all did a tremendous job initially early uh, without having any, you know, any casualties and made for really great racing, very entertaining racing. And, 
then we start having you know a few uh, a few things happen and uh, some some wrecks and then of course you know that major wreck there um, where uh, you know that a car gets you know on the outside in the marbles right and uh, you know gets in the fence and then comes down and uh, gets clipped and you know it was it was really uh, Kirkwood comes through there and Ferrucci was just in front of him and he, he almost backed it into Fer into Ferrucci there with AJ Foyt's deal and. Uh, you know, clips the left rear tire, tears it off the car, and then gets up on the wall and just, you know, carries the wall upside down on the uh, arrow screen all the way around and uh, shows a really unique perspective of the in car seen camera that you know, in his yeah. face. He sees him in there, right? He lets go of the steering wheel, both hands open. I mean, I don't think I would have raised my, uh, my, uh, my visor, my visor up, right? But I <laughs> yeah. mean, he raises it up, there's sparks going everywhere, and you see his eyes, you see his, you know, trying to get his, he's disoriented, he's trying to get his, you know, his collections of worries, what's what's going on, and he realizes that it's coming to a stop. Yeah, I don't think I've ever even seen that before in a NASCAR um, car where you have the in car camera going on them when the car is flipped and uh, and riding on its top. So that was a, a really unique perspective. Most of the time, we get to see those types of things. We saw that big hit, you know, at Daytona, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, how much of the concussion was and what was happening. I think it was um, Ryan Priest, you know, how we got that big hit, you know, and uh, you see that. But most of the time when they start flipping the cameras and the stock cars, it's so violent there that you just lose the coverage, right, or tears the thing out. So, uh, but yeah, this was a, a unique perspective because it stayed right, it was right, in, right inside the cockpit. It stayed attached and it gave a great view. So I think uh, optically it was a great ride for, you know, the fans and, and the people, uh, audience on television to see that, you know, what, what the driver was sensing and seeing and, you know, going through. So different perspective for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, social media is blowing up about, um, you know, obviously this has been um, a new decision, uh, a precedent, uh, has been now set. Correct. And I think there's a lot of racing before that, baby. I mean, geez, <laughs> I mean, let's cut to the chase here. You want to get right to the down and dirty. I mean, I'm like, I got, I still want to talk racing. I thought okay, you talk racing, you know, I mean, there was the race was great. I mean, you talk about, you know, you know, storylines. And I think that's the part I really want to, you know, look at I mean, because if you, what I look for in a race is, you know, again, storylines and the strategies and all the things that fail and all the things that you think are going to happen that don't transpire. And I think this race had a lot of that because, you know, you had Polo leading the race and you had VK behind him and they were like the class of the field, you know, for the first part of the race. Mm -hmm. They come on pit road and then VK leaves out, leaves first and gets a run at Polo and then breaks the thing loose and turns in front of him and, and hits and knocks Palo into the wall and he has to go to the back. And then VK, he's running seventh and they had, they has to do a pass through. So it puts him at the back of the pack. Right. And so it just takes those two, the, you know, just one key decision takes both of them, you know, out of the, the, you know, the race for that moment in time and relegates them to the back of the pack and they have to drive through the pack, which they do. Uh, and, end up, you know, with, you know, a, a decent finish. Obviously, VK, um, you know, uh, ends up, you know, with a, a decent finish. But, you know, um, you know, all in all, Alex Pillow really came back to fourth, which showed that, you know, he he was a class, you know. Uh, well, he was a favorite field. to win, if yeah, I remember. He was one of the beginning. them. Yeah. There was a lot of incidents on pit road. Yeah, there was. I think a lot of things happened there. You know, a lot of, you know, people pressing the issue. Uh, Catherine Legg had a little incident there. I don't know exactly if that was a, you know, a half shaft or if that was something else, but, you know, she got in the fence there and then, uh, you know, um, 
ended up having a, uh, to park the thing herself, which, you know, was unfortunate, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you look at those storylines there, and then it comes down to later in the races and, you know, you've got guys dicing it up, you know, and then paddle Ward, you know, who, you know, I think last year, you know, they would talk to the McLaren team. They didn't really have the power, didn't have the speed in the cars last year, but he had a shot to win. And I think he, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he, he finished second and he kind of relegated himself to the second finish. He had the outside on the outside. He didn't make the pass. I think he backed out, ended up second. And I think he probably goes into the race with that mentality of, you know, not allowing that to happen again and to go in with, you know, an aggressive attitude and, uh, not to be denied a fair. And I think that, that bites him, I think, in my opinion at the end, but it was, it was interesting to see everything start playing out. The fuel mileages, always, everything that happened was going out the window. The cautions would come and then they kept coming, you know, cautions, precautions, and everything that was fuel related went out the window, which, which I thought was kind of, you know, exciting from the standpoint because they put it right back in the driver's hands at the end, right? And you had a lot of, you know, changes and, and a lot of the drafting, getting runs and toes down the, the front back straightaways and making some passes. And then, you know, towards the end, you know, you feel like that, you know, you're going to have uh, a pretty decent race to the end. And then, of course, then we have that, you know, that one wreck and then a uh, red flag. And then, uh, you know, we get started again, another caution. And then, you know, you're basically just getting the, you're, you can see this thing is building. It's building. The intensity is building. Now the drivers are in the cars. They're hot. They're, it's coming down to the end. They're running out of time and they're going to have to get it done. And then that's when Paddle Ward, I think, in my opinion, you know, makes a move too quickly. And he goes, you know, he takes the inside line, but the angle is so poor and he allows Erickson to pinch him down and not give him the angle getting in. You know, he doesn't put anything on, he doesn't put a tire on him. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't really try to match wheels and, and do it. He just, uh, you know, puts one wheel in the grass and gets the thing turned around, par parks it in the fence, and then a couple of other guys get wrecked behind him, you know, so took him out of it. So do you feel that that was a bad move, that that was, that happened too early? He was impatient because they did ask him that. I mean, they, they alluded to that anyway, didn't ask him straight out that question, but he stood by his decision and said, yeah, he had to make a decision then, even though I believe there was about eight laps left. And I know we talk about this in NASCAR races as well. I mean, that's a lot of racing that's left, even on an oval track. Um, eight laps is, is a lot of time to make, you know, aggressive moves there at the end. So what were your feelings on that? Because I know we were kind of vying for him too. Well, I think that in my opinion, there was seven laps to go, I think it was. And he, you know, his comment was that he thought that, you know, New Garden was going to get away. And, and Erickson and he together probably would have drafted their way back up there collectively. Um, but he'd have had to make a move, you know, but I think he had time. I think he had a fast enough car that just a tick of patience there and not taking such a late, you know, opportunity. You know, if he, he might have waited another lap, if he would just squeeze back, roll back or did something to, you know, try to minimize that. But, you know, he could have gotten more dirty air and he could have, you know, he could have skewed his run, but he, did, he ultimately took himself out of the opportunity, you know, when he had plenty of time left in all reality. and you know, he could have made a move earlier. If he could have got a better run and made the move earlier, he'd have pulled that off. But, you know, when he, you go, when you make a move that late, um, at, at the corner, and if you get down there, somebody, and the guy doesn't see you or he sees you late and he comes down then it skews your angle. First of all, your angle of attack to the corner is very poor. It's very shallow. 
and you got to turn the wheel more, which has a tendency. And then the air gets disturbed and you turn the wheel and you get loose. And then you touch him or you touch the apron. You're, you're going to, you know, you're going to put yourself in the fence. So in my opinion, yeah, I thought it was probably not necessary at that point, but I think from what he had done last year, you know, he'd already kind of set the precedent that he was going to go for it. And he felt like that was the time. So, you know, obviously that's a decision a race car driver makes at that point in time. It's easy for us to sit on the outside and say, oh, you know, could have, should have, would have, you know, <laughs> but, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, all in all, um, it made for exciting racing and it really set the thing up, you know, uh, for another good ending, in my opinion. But I think he still had a fast enough car that he could have been a factor. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what do you think about the um, statement that it's always better to be second rather than first? Because that's certainly not something that we would say in NASCAR. No, I don't think that was. I th well, they were saying that it's better to be second on the restart. Correct. On the restart which, is what I meant. Which is true. I think in this case they are because these cars, they're so small, they get a major toe, you know, or what explain they call the, the draft. Explain a toe, the difference. Yeah, it's, it's the draft. I mean, it basically is the first car is, you know, is the projectile that's, you know, punching a hole in the air. And the car behind that is in the void area. And these cars are so small and so aerodynamic that they're in that wake and they really get a run. And that's typically what you see. You always see the snaking going on down the, the front and back straightaways mm -hmm. where they try to break the draft off. The moment that you can like break the air off and they have to run in their own, you know, punch the hole, their own hole in the air, that minimizes the amount of toe that they get and get a major run at you. But if you just let them stay right behind you, then they're going to get the run. And then, you know, you got to dictate how you defend either left or right, give them the outside or give them the inside. And in this case, you know, he, they got it, you know, he, I think Pat Ward did the first thing wrong was, in my opinion, was he slowed him way down that first restart and he kind of showed his yes. hand and yes. then they, they yellow flagged it. So he had to do it again. And then he had to be way more favorite because he got a warning. Mm -hmm. So he had to like do a normal restart. He didn't get a, he get a chance to really, you know, pull a stunt. And, and they were all expecting it the second time and then it was over. And it was over because they got a run at him and then they went wide and Ferrucci went to the outside and cleared him and, you know, New Garden cleared him on the bottom and, you know, the caution comes out because that wreck back behind him. So it st sets the stage again and it, you know, and it showed right there that, you know, by the yellow flag coming out that, you know, it put Ferrucci third and put New Garden second, put him in the prime spot for a restart. So it brought it, got down and instead of what we talk about setting a precedent, if you want to lead into that, now is when I think that set the stage. Exactly. Well, and, you know, I uh, do not um, even claim to be any type of, of indie car um, expert, but I have to say there was a lot of upset people um, after the race about, you know, the way it ended. Um, the non-winners of course, are upset, but the winners are extremely elated. And I think, that's, I think that's the case in pretty much all sports. I mean, I've seen it a lot in NASCAR where some decision is made that hasn't been made before. It's just different. It's not a new rule. It just kind of happens spontaneous for whatever reason. And, but it does alter the winner because it alters you know, the actions that happen at the end of that race. And I mean, and I've seen it happen, you know, even in the NFL, you know, where a ref makes a call and it alters the ending. However, isn't it the case that the only people who are upset are the losers? If that 
same call, same decision, same precedent had been made, and Erickson would have won, they'd be fine with it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it, I mean, really, it's just a decision of who won and who lost. Well, all of Sweden probably pretty hot. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, talk about the losers, you know, obviously, if you're a Chip Ganassi fan or you're an Erickson fan, uh, the fact that he lost $400,000 bonus, you know, for winning it two consecutive years in a row and all of Sweden, I'd say, yeah, there's a lot of pissed off people. Yeah, but if it would have gone the other way, then they would have been fine with it. Well, we said, that was the greatest ending, whatever. What, hey, good job there, you know, sanctioning body of, of the Indianapolis 500. You know, nobody likes a race to end on a caution. No, and I think- Unless you're the loser. And that's just the way <laughs> that IndyCar racing really has done it. They've ended it. They've never gone to the extent that NASCAR has where they have a green-white checker and they keep having green-white checkers. If the caution comes out, you know, before the white flag line or whatever they got anymore, it changes. And- you know, it sets the stage for, you know, opportunity after opportunity and wrecking after wrecking, you know, and IndyCar just hasn't really done that. And I think that's the, that's the question. That's the thing that I think, you know, Alexander Rossi was talking about, you know, is that, and I think, you know, the title of our episode, right? It set a new precedent for IndyCar racing. But I think one thing that I think Danica said, you know, in the, uh, in the broadcast, which is an absolute truth in my opinion, is this isn't an entertainment business, yes, right? Yes, it all is. And I think that, you know, every sanctioning body, and I think, you know, it started with Bill France, you know, on Bill France and Bill France Jr., the, the whole thing was, you know, this is an entertainment. We are here to entertain these people. We ought to put it on a show. And, you know, you're the circus clowns. You know, you're, you're, gonna, you're the guys that are going to make this happen, right? And uh, so I think, you know, by doing this, it really did give the opportunity for an ending to the, to the Indy 500. And it wasn't just given, you know, uh, because of, of, a, of a wreck. And they had an opportunity, albeit these cars are different. There was not a lot of tire heat. They sat there for a long period of time, a lot of heat soak into everything. The drivers themselves and, you know, the temperatures rising under the helmet as well. And you got one lap to get it done for the biggest prize. And I think, you know, you become much more, you know, despondent or there's, you know, there's a much more emotion a build around something like that when it's something that's never happened before. And you feel like that you had done everything that, like Erickson said, I've done everything right. I did everything. I defended right. I did all the things right. I managed my gap and there's a caution. So I'm in the position with one, you know, two laps to go that the race should be over. I should have won the race. If it had been any other Indy 500, that's the true statement. But in this case, they opted to set a precedent and say, we're going to, we have a red flag. We've cleaned this up. We're going to give it a one lap shootout. We're going to set this, settle this on the racetrack. If, like you said, if you're at, if you're Sweden, you're unhappy. If you, if you're, yeah. uh, if you're in Nashville, Tennessee, and Hendersonville, Tennessee, yeah. you New are Garden. very happy about New yeah. Garden getting the opportunity if you're a to New go Garden race. Fan, for. you felt this was the best Indy 500 ever. And honestly, I mean, I am, I'm one that says, hey, new winners are always better. And so I was wanting New Garden to pass him. And so I loved it when he did that. I mean, no, I, I have nothing against Erickson. I think he's a very talented driver, but he's already won it. So let someone else have a shot who deserves it. And 
that was some good racing at the end. Take nothing away from Newgarden. When he passed the way he did, there was nothing dirty, underhanded about that. And it was pretty dynamic to watch. I mean, we were on the ed- edges of our seats watching him do that. And I didn't think he had enough time. Yeah, Erickson did a nice job on the restart. He did things that he should do. I think it was textbook, you know, from Newgarden. I thought he did exactly all the things you do. You know, he, he did everything he could do to get the draft, get a toe. And then he actually had a major run, you know, off of two, got down the back straight away and clears him. So he did everything right to actually win the race. And, you know, the car had, you know, had everything right about it to do it. And it was a, it was a textbook, a move and, you know, rightfully so, you know, and a guy that, you know, has won the championship is driving for obviously probably the best, one of the best teams in the sport, you know, with Roger Penske, you know, they've won, but they'd won 18, you know, so, uh, and, but new garden hadn't won it. And anytime that you don't, if you time you win a championship, you're winning all these races, but you don't win the Indy 500 or you don't win the Daytona 500, you don't win the spectacle, the premier races, right? Then it's like, there's, it's like people think you're incomplete. They think that, you know, you had a great career or you had this, or why can't you get it done? And this day and age with social media and everything else, right? Everybody has a soapbox. Everybody has a way to say, well, you haven't won Indy 500 yet, you know? Well, they have a way, everybody likes to be a detractor, right? Mm -hmm. So for him, for him to get it done, it does really, you know, finalize, you know, two of the biggest things that can happen to you in the sport. You win the championship and you, you know, you win the Indy 500. So I think he's a nice guy. You know, well-spoken, you know, he's, he's from, you know, Hendersonville, Tennessee, you know, um, you know, close to Nashville. So yeah, I think, you know, I think it's a good story. I thought the racing was great. I thought, you know, you know, ending, you know, again, as you said, it was unprecedented, but you know, it set a new precedent. I would like you just to see what that does going forward. Cause now, you know, of course, you know, Jay Fry, who runs IndyCar, well, he was my team manager at the Skittles team with uh, MB3. And so I know Jay. So, you know, I'm just curious to know what the, you know, the ramifications are moving forward, right? It's like, you know, what exactly is the precedent now? Is this going to be that we're never going to end it on uh, uh, under yellow anymore? Or I think that would be a good decision. So I'm just and, curious. Yes. Uh, and, and time will tell. But uh, yeah, I'd love our listeners to weigh in on this. Please give us some feedback as to what you thought. Obviously, again, if you're a New Garden fan, you're going to love the new precedent. If you're an Erickson fan, you're going to think this is the worst thing that they've ever decided. If you're decided. Swedish, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> uh, that was a very, okay, very, very bad, poor Swedish. Okay. Very poor Swedish. Swedish accent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> More Chinese than it was. No, you can only do a Chinese accent. That's <laughs> I it. I guess so. There's... All right. Well, if you're Mr. Kuma, uh, he's Japanese. But anyways, I guess I just got it down, so. Anyways, uh, we'll move on from there. But yeah, you know, again, the ending was certainly uh, an exciting ending. And, you know, you wait for the Indy 500 the whole month of May. And I think most people that maybe don't even watch motor racing, uh, you know, all the time, you know, have a, have a tendency to watch the Indy 500, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was a great race from that, from that standpoint. Yeah, even if you're not a NASCAR fan, you're going to watch the Daytona 500. That's yeah. just, it's a, it's a Super Bowl. So I, I think it was, um, I think it was very entertaining. Yeah, I, so, you know, Joseph Newgarden wins the race. Uh, Marcus Erickson, you know, finishes second. And, I, and now the other guy that I thought, you know, it's kind of like become like this little, 
this interesting character now is this uh, Santino Ferrucci. He's got the look, right? This guy's he's got, got Einstein here. He's got he's got the hair. <laughs> he got the big curls. The, you know, he's got the you know shaved uh, side areas around his before his ears. Right, good looking kid. Uh, you know, and a very talented young man. Uh, for, as you know, always ran exceptionally well in IndyCar. Has brought has branched out to the NASCAR side and has been very productive over there. Uh, so I mean, this kid's this kid's um. I think he's something. I think he's interesting. I and think I know you he, wanted him to win today because you like AJ. Foyt. Well, I, I'm a I'm a AJ and Larry. I'm a Larry Foyt AJ Foyt fan and always have been. And I've you know I've obviously you know got to know Larry pretty well when he was running NASCAR. And you know I. I got to know AJ. I actually built some shock absorbers that went on his uh, Indy car at Richmond with uh, Dare driving. And I've always pulled for him. And I, I think the one thing that I, you know, like about AJ, you know, it's something that I saw a side, an emotional side of AJ. And we were at the inaugural Brickyard. And you talked about this on the last podcast as well. Yeah. So, that 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 uh, that last uh, inaugural, that inaugural race there, I I rode in the in the vehicle on the parade lap where we you know, go all the way around the racetrack and wave to all the fans. And this place is packed, right? It's got three hundred thousand people. Did the fans? I mean, the every grandstand's full. AJ is going. This is his last one, and we're riding around. And he is. I mean, everybody in this place is on their feet and yelling and screaming for AJ. And he has tears running down his face. And for me, I mean, it really was emotional at the time because here is somebody who you, you know, you got to have so much enormous respect for, right? The guy's done everything there is. He's a true, he's run IndyCar, he's, you know, won IndyCar races, sprint car races, he's, you know, anything you want to drive, this guy's the guy, right? And, you know, to see him, you know, I think be touched uh, that way by all of those adoring fans, and it just shows how much this sport means to you and it shows the passion that this man has for it and you know how deeply touched he was and how much he knew that it was and how how it was over Mm -hmm. it was going to be the last time that he was going to feel or sense and be there in that capacity and yeah uh you know i you know since i've been there i i mean i when i did that final we did our final daytona 500 it's the same you look at it so differently you're never coming back, you know, to that again. And no. there is an ending. And it really is sad and it's emotional and um it really tears at you from within. And that was a moment in time that I will never forget. It was one that um I had true admiration for the man. I had opportunity to ride in the car with him and see that firsthand and see the raw emotion. And um yeah. You know, the first first brickyard and the last race for AJ. I thought that was a fitting a fitting day. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So and, I was and, hoping. And and what a privilege for you to run your first inaugural NASCAR Indy race and you're in the pickup at driver intros with AJ. It, yes. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was. And you know, AJ's just he's bigger than life. The guy demands respect. And I think when you see him, you just you just I think he just promotes it and you see it and that's what you've always had and uh to have you know a little bit of a relationship where i've done some things with him and um you know had the opportunity to to spend some time with him and obviously larry is a great individual and is doing a wonderful job with that organization now and for them to have a car with that kind of speed and you know ferrucci to 
to have the capability to keep it up front all day and to be a factor and give them an opportunity to win. It, it probably just, I mean, what an influx of excitement and motivation for that group to go next week to Detroit, you know, uh, in the streets of Detroit where they go next week. So all in all, I thought a great effort there. And then, you know, Alex Pelo, I mean, he's, you know, he's the kid that I think that, uh, you know, everybody looks at as being, you know, and he's already won the championship with Ganassi and, uh, up front the whole time. And then a problem with uh, VK on pit road and then comes back to fourth. Great effort there. Alexander Rossi, you know, with McLaren, um, you know, when, when paddle gets taken out, he's her only, only shot next shot and, uh, had, you know, a solid run there. Uh, and obviously won the 500 before. And then Scott Dixon in sixth Takuma Sato, those guys have all won it. You know, Takuma Sato's won it twice. And then, you know, Connor Daly in the Bittnell car there in eighth, he had a great run as well. And, uh, on to a Colton Herta and then Renus VK who come back to 10th. So great, uh, great top 10 finish for all, for the race. And I thought, uh, overall a great day and, you know, a fitting Indy 500 for the end of the month of May. Yes, absolutely. So, but anyways, um, that's, that's what it was today, uh, you know, or, or with, uh, the Indy 500 and enjoyed that, but, uh, just came back, you know, um, from our past weekend where we were at the, uh, Trans Am TA2 With race. Nitro Motorsports. Correct. Nitro mm-hmm. Motorsports. We had, uh, four cars up there and it was at Lime Rock and the weather was wonderful. Connecticut. Yes. Wonderful. And we've been there when it's rained. Not so wonderful. But it was great and really enjoyed it. Well, worked hard. We had, uh, you know, Brent Cruz. We had Thomas Nunziata and Darren Mock. And then we had this young guy, uh, a newcomer that had been running the series of, you know, sporadically with his own team, but had driven uh, for Nitro and um, Robert Noaker. And uh, myself and um, Mark Durgan worked on that car there. And we, you know, we fought hard, uh, made a lot of changes. And, um, you know, he just, Took his time and I thought took a very methodical approach to getting you know, the car underneath him and finding what he wanted. And we made a lot of concessions and compromises in the car. And um, yeah, I think he qualified 18th, which uh, we got blocked in, really didn't really get the lap that he wanted. And there's a difficult place, a small racetrack, very tight. So, and you know, cars are close together there in your qualifying effort. And even in practice, you know, it's hard to get a really a clean run because everybody's stacked up. So it was. It's very unique from that perspective. So a lot of guys, even Brent, I don't think, uh, you know, Brent was fastest in practice, had a shot. Thomas was right there in third, second second fastest in practice. And Darren, I think, was right there as well, like 10th or 12th. And we just, we had good cars. And, you know, the qualifying effort um, ended up, I think we were like third with Thomas and seventh with Brent. And I think we were 17, 18, Darren and then Robert. And... The race started and we really, um, you know, we, st- everybody kind of took off and became, you know, a factor in the race. And we were able to have a setup in the car that I thought was more a long run car. And we kind of settled in. Next thing you know, we made a few adjustments and he and the car had worked some brake things inside the car. And I kept trying to motivate him. And I think all of a sudden, you know, the light kind of came on and, uh, he took off and we started running people down and, out breaking him, going in the corner, moved our way up, had some cautions, and he missed some of those wrecks, and we were able to get some track position. And by the end of the, you know, right towards the end of the race, you know, we um, we were under a, you know, a red flag situation and got back to racing. And he ended up, um, uh, Brent had made a move on Connor Zilich, and they were, he was racing really hard with him, and I think kind of had to make a move back the other way. And then uh, Robert uh, made a, 
you know, a bold move to the inside and got, got by him and took over sixth. And that's where it ended, um, under caution. But, you know, we finished, Thomas finished third and, uh, Robert finished sixth, Brent seventh. And I think Darren was, um, was 12th, I believe maybe 11th, uh, but good, good, good effort for Nitro Motorsports and overall a fun day. And, you know, I was really, you know, I was really pleased for, you know, for, um, you know, our guys, you know, good, good points day for Darren. Um, I think, you know, the, the, one of those wrecks really altered Darren's day. He, he, he chose a lane and that lane actually compromised and he lost some spots. So he'd have been probably better than that. So didn't get the result he wanted to, but still a good points day for him. Really, it showed that you know. Nitro was top 10 with all, all four cars. That's uh, really amazing. It is. And it was a good effort. I, I really, I was pleased with that. I was really pleased for Robert because, you know, he'd, he has, uh, he's been running some Miata, uh, MX and some MX five or, you know, or Miata stuff. He's run some TCR stuff in IMSA before and has won there. So, I mean, he's a proficient kid. This kid's 19 years old, young too. And he uh, has done a, you know, a bit of racing, but, uh, yeah, I did a really nice job. And I think, uh, it was just nice to see the effort and I kept, you know, kept working on him and, you know, motivating trying to get him through the deal and, uh, you know, pressing him and he responded to the whip and, you know, we, uh, you know, we went, no, Derek doesn't really whip his yeah, drivers. Well, I was, I was, I was trying to be motivating, you know, and, uh, and I was, I was, I guess I was getting, you know, I was getting excited as well because, you know, I could sense the, the emotion that he had. I could see the way he was driving the intensity. He, you know, I was like, look, let's go. No mercy. You know, let's get these guys, let's get them one at a time. You're capable of doing this and, you know, let's get it done, you know? And then, and of course they had that red flag. It's hot. And, you know, I know that he was tired. I said, look, all race car, y'all, everyone wants to be a race car driver. I said, this is the time you got to step up. You got to pull, you got to, you got to, you know, dig deep. I said, you're going to have a, you know, like five or six laps to go here and you got to go get it done. The bottom line is we're not giving this up now. You know, you've mm -hmm. come too far, you know, you find a way, you take some deep breaths, you pull it together. And I said, you know, you go to, go to work. And he did and uh, made it happen. And then the caution come out into the race. But, uh, you know, you could have, looked at two sides and said, well, you know, do we take six and not get wrecked and, you know, and, and, and have a problem where we could have fall, fallen back or do you want to like go back to race and get the deal? And for us having to work on the cars and turn them around for Detroit up there last night, I was pretty happy that, uh, things went the way they did and we have something to go race with, uh, you know, next week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys so. did well. So, um, I would like to take this opportunity to talk about some exciting stuff that race theory has coming up and um, maybe you could kind of uh, take the mic on this, Derek, about what race theory hot laps is going to be all about. Well, it's something that we've been, you know, throwing around entertaining for a bit of time. And I think that the situation has presented itself and we have in the next uh, week uh, or so, when we get back from Detroit, we'll be uh, picking up the radical. And this is a, you know, radical um rxc spider and what it is open cockpit it's got two seats in it high down force it's got the a lot of ground for you know, ground effects and a lot of uh, aero dynamics on it so the car is you know very very fast and handles really well paddle shifted and it's got like 650 horsepower going one about 185 oh my gosh so it is going to be a ride and we're going to be given rides and we're going to be given some rides exactly so this is going to be an opportunity 
you know, well, we'll, we'll do some coaching with it as well. Well, I'm going to be the first passenger. Yes, you are. You used to be really fearless, but you've been a scaredy cat lately. Well, so I don't know. I'm going to see. I want to see. Ch- children and age does that to you, but <laughs> I, I, you know what? I've never been able to be in a ride along with you ever. So I, I can't wait to do it. She's the first passenger, and we're going to get get started once we get that, uh, you know, uh, back and we get everything all worked out. We're going to go do some test days and get uh, a feel for how we're going to do the presentation and. Uh, carry off something that I think will be exciting for, you know, some of my fans and some of people in general that just, you know, would like to have the opportunity. You know, you have a lot of different, you know, driving schools and things like that, you know, but this is going to be something where it's a, a personalized deal. You come in, it's, you know, going to be palatable price-wise. You get to come to the racetrack and spend the day with us and, you know, go out and go for some laps with me driving the car. And the speed it will be relatively fast, you know, in speed. Um, it will it will be controlled, obviously, by other cars being on the racetrack. So you're going to get a sense on what it's like to be passing cars at a high rate of speed, and maybe maybe we get passed. I hope not, but we will be. But anyway, <laughs> guess it all depends on who's on yeah, the track with it depends you. Yeah, it depends on that. But yeah, I think it'll give you a unique perspective. I think it really is something that not a lot of people really get a chance to do. And the one thing that I can tell you that's very unique about this, it's open cockpit. I've driven in the 24 hours. You know, in the GTP car, which is very similar to this kind of car with high downforce um, and, you know, quick steering, a lot of horsepower, and the speed's elevated. And then I've driven the, the Ferrari, the Modena, with Bill Auburn and Court Wagner. And then I've driven the open cockpit Lola for Archangel Motorsports with Larry Alberto from Alberto Beef Jerky. And it's a different sensation. I mean, the, the wind in your face, buffeting. Uh, actually trying to draw your, your head up, your helmet, you know, it wants to raise your head up, you know, so trying to drive with a kind of a tucked sense. And you just do out in the open air and you see the optics are fantastic because you see everything and you're low to the ground and it really is a sense of speed. You know, you sense it. And um, so I'm excited about getting some folks and the opportunity to do that. You first, my dear. And I'm looking forward to that. And I, yeah, we're going to do some corporate outings also uh, for some companies uh, where we'll, you know, I'll speak, do some motivational speaking for their companies, sales forces, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we're going to do some things for the general, the general public and our fans. And if, if you know of any uh, corporations or you own one or you are part of one and they're looking for something different than your annual sales meeting or a trip somewhere or a dinner function somewhere or going to Vegas, this would be a very, um, not only dynamic, interesting, fun, I think this would really draw your team together and it would be something that they could brag about and make a memory for a lifetime that nobody else does. And uh, we would put your uh, company name on the car. We would have full-on hospitality at the track. Um, the track would be um, much easier to navigate because either we rent the whole track or we're there for a test day. And so your people will have really free reign. It won't be like a hot pass in a NASCAR pit situation where there's a lot of limitations and restrictions. So I'm really excited about this because, you know, it's really you know, the possibilities are endless as to what we can do. And so we can really customize um, the options for the corporations as well. And again, it's, it's up close and personal. I think the one thing that we've always tried to do, as I've always tried to do as a, a race car driver, uh, is to always try to give people 
uh, a story. Let them leave with a story. And whether you're in an autograph session, you know, an opportunity to sit up, stand up, you know, put your arm around them, take a picture, talk a little bit, and just try to, you know, let them leave with, you know, something that's more representative of an actual meeting and get to know somebody just a little bit. And I think this is one of those opportunities where, uh, depending on how and what we do, just spend a little bit of time, you know, conversing uh, in between the sessions and then, you know, opportunity to eat and, and talk about things, your experiences, just to know who these people are and a little bit more about them personally. And then if it is a corporate event and you got some folks coming there, like a, a group or a sales force or a management team, the opportunity to, to, you know, spend some time talking to them and, you know, create some, you know, some parallels between racing what it takes from a team standpoint and how everybody makes a difference and how when a person reflects on everybody in every decision you make. So I think there's a lot of parallels, a lot of exciting things we can do. And I think it's just a, you got to stimulate yourself about what we can do with it. And the intriguing part is, you know, the race car itself. Not a lot of people get to go 185 miles an hour down a straightaway in the open air. And uh, this would be something that I think that, uh, you, you know, that you and your, you know, your, your people will, will experience and relish. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about a bucket list. And um, it could be for family um, events as well. If you've got a very special family event coming up, an anniversary or a bachelor party, or you know, uh, Father's Day is coming up, y'all. Do you have something planned for, for dad or for grandpa? If this is one of his bucket lists, then uh, then give us a call. You can go to our website at DerekCope.club and, um, and leave us a comment or ask a question there. Yeah, or race theory dot club. Yep, so, goes to the same place. Yeah, so you'll see you'll see it on there shortly. We're uh, obviously in the uh, you know the infancy of getting everything put together, but once the car is um, it's already been painted and everything like that, we're putting decals on it. Once we do that, then all the optics will be done, and we'll have it on the actual website so you can view the car and then some actual pricing structures and things and some dates that I think are um, already uh, going up on there. So a lot of exciting things to come, and I hope that uh, it's something that uh, you have interest in. And uh, we'll leave it there for this week. And we'll come back next week and uh, give you uh, another look at race theory. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00. And leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.